Mother's Day, to me, as I was reflecting on it, really uh, is a reminder to us that the marketplace really does a poor job of ascribing value. They say that if mothers, and especially stay-at-home mothers, actually had uh, got paid for, for what they did, they would certainly all be very wealthy people. We learned this also when the pandemic hit. We have a certain marketplace, certain uh, wages that are given to certain types of jobs and types of vocations. But when the pandemic hit, it sort of took that value system and messed it all up. And, essentially, and we, we began saying that there are certain businesses, there are certain people that are essential. And there are more people, I see signs popping up on people's lawns over and over again that those healthcare workers, the, the people that are putting themselves at risk in the midst of this pandemic, boy, they, they are so much more appreciated during this time. And so the value that we now see through this pandemic is different than maybe the, the marketplace has been treating it. A friend of mine was recently reminded of this too when he had started a new job maybe a year or so ago and he was due for a raise and the raise that he got, he felt like he was doing really great work but the raise that he got wasn't as big as he thought it should be and it made him feel kind of sad and undervalued, underappreciated and so he talked to his, his overseer about his boss about that and little did he know that because of the pandemic, the company was just cutting the, the raises a little bit short just as a precaution. And he had actually gotten the highest raise of all of the employees in, in the company. You see, the, the marketplace really doesn't do justice to the value that we see in uh, so many other people. Now, one of the books that was probably one of the most influential, one of the more influential Christian books, even in this last century, is a book written by Pastor Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. The Purpose Driven Life was published in 2002 when I graduated college, and it blew up into the mainstream. And even into the secular world, businesses would use it for their employees. There were um, famous people that read it and, and noted how powerful it was in, in their life. Today, in 2020, there are over 50 million copies that have been sold, and it is written in over 85 different languages. In that book, there's something very powerful where it talks about something bigger than our vocation, something bigger than the jobs or the tasks that we have on a day-to-day -day basis. It speaks to something deeper, something much more powerful, and that is purpose. That we all have a God-given purpose. And the appreciation that we get through our wages or through the, the, the praise or the affirmation of other people never does justice to that deeper sense of purpose that, that God has given us. In fact, in the book, Rick Warren, he, he says this, that your value is not determined by your valuables. And Rick Warren has his way with words in, in that. And I think it's so true that the wages, the, the, the materials, the means that we get through the work that we do never really does justice, really never speaks to the true value that we specifically have. Well, we're in this series called Family Ties, 
It speaks to how the church or the people of God are a family. And, and this is the perfect series, I think, to do directly after the Easter season. You see, Easter, we, we celebrate our own personal salvation as we go before the cross on Good Friday and recognize our deep sense of humanity and our need for a savior. But then on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus because Christ rose from the dead and in his victory, we also have victory. But the early Christians, after all of this, they gathered back together and they started to be commissioned out as the Holy Spirit would work through them in planting churches, specific through, through many leaders, but through the Apostle Paul. And, and through these different leaders, they, they formed these little house churches or micro churches in all the surrounding areas. And they had a lot of questions about how they were to be Jesus' people in that specific context and in that world. They would ask the question specifically, questions of identity, who are we? Yes, who am I as a person in Jesus Christ, but, but who are we as the family of God? And through those questions, we've already been reading that they're probably a series of issues. In chapter two, I talked a couple weeks ago about how there were issues of uh, being a multi-ethnic community. Now Jew and Gentile together, and even though Jesus really set that forth in motion as he ministered to the Samaritans and broke down those racial dividing walls, that church still, churches all around still were having trouble in figuring out how they were going to be the church in the midst of those divisions. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, we see more of a theological or theoretical approach from Paul, the author, uh, the letter to Ephesians. But in chapter four, it's really seen, especially that first verse, it, it's seen as sort of a hinge piece, a, a hinge scripture where it's going to move suddenly in the from the first three chapters, which are theoretical or theological, to more of a, a practical sense. How are we going to truly live this out? And it immediately goes to this issue of misplacing their sense of purpose with who they are and their, their value that they hold as not only individuals, but as a people. Take a look, it was read for you once, but take a look at Ephesians 4, verses one through six. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Some of you in your Bibles might have that piece of scripture noted as maybe a song or a hymn. I could just imagine a choir playing in the background as this is being read. It's got that poetic sense to it, almost like it was a, a New Testament or an early church hymn or song that they would sing with, with one another. It's a powerful text and it speaks directly into a problem we know full well from the other letters that Paul is sending to some of the other churches. You could put a finger or note in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or even Romans chapter 12 where among other scriptures where it specifically addresses this disunity that is happening 
as a direct result of the roles and responsibilities that each new person had in the community of faith. When it's talking about gifts, it's talking about the specific roles and responsibilities and giftings, talents, if you will, that God has given each person to contribute to the body of Christ. Now this would make sense if you think about it like an organization that has no leadership structure in place. There's so many different questions. Who's gonna make the decisions here? Who's gonna carry the different responsibilities? Who's gonna do this? Who's gonna tend to the widows? Who's gonna uh, sing the songs? Who's gonna do this and, and that? And in that moment with all of those questions, even though they're singing this hymn of unity, you have to wonder if they think that unity is just sort of a utopian idea. How in the world are we gonna function this way? Yeah, it's great to think about it as God's ideal for his people and for his church, but, but how does it get practical? How are we really going to, to live this out in tangible ways? I think the, the, the solution or the, the power of this lies in this next verse. It's Ephesians chapter four, verse seven, and it simply says this, But to each one of us, grace, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now this should hit a note, especially for the early readers, but if we're reading all the way through, you know, sometimes we don't do this enough where we read the whole letter through to catch some of the major themes that are happening in the letter. But if you were to do that, you might catch this theme of grace that has been layered or threaded through all the different chapters. Take a look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, where it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Or how about Ephesians 3, 7? I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. You see these different stages or or themes happening and they all incorporate grace. The first is the grace that as Jesus calls us to himself, that through the work of Christ on the cross and and resurrecting on the third day, we have been adopted as children of God and all of this is done not by our own works, but purely on grace. And in chapter three, Paul talks about his call into the ministry of the gospel. And that very call in chapter three, verse seven, is done and given purely on the standing of grace. And so the gifts through which Paul would serve, the gifts through which Paul would would serve God and, and reach people would also be done purely by grace. This grace is is a thread moving from one piece or one piece of the message of the gospel to the other. And it can't be taken out. The same grace that we stand on as we are loved by the Father and adopted as children of God is the same grace that, that gives us gifts to be used for other people. Grace is a thread here but it's also a sequence. Now this is critical. It's, it's so important that, that we understand Paul's movement throughout this letter 
and how he first establishes that we stand an identity as adopted children of God purely by grace. It's this grace that is given to us, not by our own works, but given to us by God. That means we can't do anything to, to, to have it and we can't do anything to take it away. That grace is always offered and there for us because it is given by God. And we can stand on that. We can rest assured on that. We can be secure in that love and that grace that was given to us through Jesus Christ. And it's through that same grace and that same love and it's out of the security of that love that we then have a calling, that we have a a purpose that's deep and profound and and bigger than our, our roles and responsibilities, our vocations or our jobs that we might have. And it's the same love and the same secure love that we then can use the gifts that God has given us to make a difference in the lives of others. You see, if you take out that first piece, if you take out that that secure identity as saved, adopted children of God, what we have is directly moving from God to expressing our gifts. And in that, we find ourselves striving. We, We forget the value that we have in the security of God's love that is given to us through Christ. I've seen it so many times. It, it's a bondage that we continue to strive and work for the approval or the value just like we would experience in the world. It's like earning a wage or, or working to, to receive something back in return. We can so easily apply that same thinking to God. That if we put enough hours in at church or if we reach out to enough people, if we just continue to strive and work for God, he will love us more than he already did. We know that intellectually in our minds. We, we know that that's not the case, but I wonder if some of us would find ourselves living out that very way. Where the more that we think that we do for God, we think that, that, that God's love will grow in proportion to that service, to, the, to those giftings. And it's not the case. It's not how God built the church. You see, loved people love best. People that stand secure in God's love, it's, it's out of that love that people are able to extend and share love. I, I saw this when I was a teacher. I could tell the different children in my class, my fifth grade class, and they, I could tell which children had that sense of security of love and, and the, the other children who really had maybe a scarcity of that love or more instability in their homes. And I could see them acting out in such a way to grasp for attention and grasp for love, but they didn't know how to do it. It's all the difference in the world where people that rest in the security of God's love first in their identity and then out of that are able to receive their purpose and calling and serve with gifts. Now you'll see this in the way Paul lays the rest of this out in chapter four. And take a look in verse 11. 
or chapter four, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These gifts, uh, some people call them the five-fold gifts as it's listed in Ephesians. Many scholars see them as categories of gifts as opposed to maybe specific giftings. Apostles, teachers, pastors, evangelists, prophets, all of them represent greater, uh, a strain or a, a network of other specific gifts that people can use for the building up of others. Our gifts aren't for ourselves. Our gifts that are given to us are actually for, to be used for other people. I think that's a powerful, powerful image. And it's through that, as loved people loving best, we can then all together, as opposed to one-upping one another, playing the comparison game, envying one another, placing hierarchy to say that some are more important than others in the community of faith. The church, the, the body of Christ, grows together as all, out of grace, are using their gifts for the building up of one another. So Paul then says, so grow up. <laughs> now, as you are resting in the security of the Father's love and have received your purpose and your call and have been gifted with good gifts, grow up. And don't be like children. This is what it says in chapter four, verses 14 to 16. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That last part is important, as each part does its work. Over the winter, we realize as we're moving into spring that many of our potted plants in our house uh, needed new homes. They were growing to the point where we realized that if they were to stay in these smaller, uh, the, these smaller pots, that um, they would probably, probably those pots would restrict their growth. The smaller the pot, the smaller the plant. And in order for that plant to grow and to flourish and become more fruitful, 
we would have to get it in a, a bigger encasing, a bigger pot. And so that leaves us with a, a question as people who are charged with growing and, and maturing and asked by this, the Apostle Paul to, to grow up, what does it look like for us to, to take a next step of growth? What does it look like for us as, as people of faith to expand the structures through which we have been growing in the past and, and looking broader and looking into new horizons so that we can grow and we can flourish as the body of, of Christ? Of course, it's all grace as God builds us up and helps us to grow. And so we, tr- we need to trust that God is at work building us up and helping us to grow. We can't rest with the status quo. We can't create structures and traditions that stifle our ability to grow and flourish in the Lord. God is always expanding our ability through his grace. God's always calling us unto new horizons, new relationships, new people, making a difference in new ways than we ever thought possible. He's calling us not to to settle into the old works and, and roles and responsibilities that we have, but to pass those off and explore something new. That's how we grow. What's your next step of of growth? You might want to think about it in terms of stages. In the way that Paul laid out different stages, first was a stage of establishing an understanding that no matter who you were, as you were either far off or you were someone who was near, that it's through grace that is available to us in Jesus Christ He gathers all things to himself and and adopts us and calls us his children. Maybe that's a stage that hasn't sunk in quite yet. Maybe you find yourself striving for God, thinking that your value in God's eyes is, is dependent on your ability to do acts of service or to do more things for other people, to be a good person. The other stage maybe is the, the call, a, a calling and a purpose that God has laid on your life. Maybe you find yourself wandering aimless. What in the world am I here for? <laughs> what has God called me to do on this earth? You probably know by now that it, it's much bigger than your particular vocation, your job, or your salary. It's bigger than that. It's the purposes and the work of the kingdom of God that with or without you is unfolding and at work and in motion. But God calls you into that, to participate in that and to share in that. Maybe you feel yourself stuck in that part. You're not sure what God has called you to do. You aren't able to identify the purpose that God might have for your life. Or maybe... It's the stage of identifying your gifts, understanding how God has uniquely gifted you out of both your experience and your talent to be a blessing for other people. So which one is it? Is is it receiving the grace and the love of the Father? 
Is it understanding your purpose and calling or is it identifying and discovering how God has uniquely gifted you? I found those three stages to be pretty helpful as I've looked through my own journey of of faith. And the fun part of it is that I am nowhere near done growing. (laughs) It will keep continuing on. And God will show me, circle me back and show me new things. In fact, the last month or two, God has been revealing new things about his love for me. And that as a pastor, I don't have to strive for his love. I've been at times discovering new parts of my purpose and calling or maybe God has shifted those things into something new. I've discovered new gifts at different times where God has shown, wow, I didn't know I was good at this kind of thing. And God revealed that to me. This idea of growing in stages is is definitely a theme for us in my home um, because we have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old and they're definitely in different growth stages and managing them during this stay-at-home or shelter-in-place has been really interesting because they just don't have the same kinds of interests And older brother, of course, you know, he wants to do his own thing and play with his own friends. And little sister, of course, she wants to jump a few stages and do everything that that brother is doing. (laughs) It makes it really challenging at times. And it's tested my own patience. And it's actually my wife, Amanda, who's reminded me that they are in their own unique stages of growth and maturity. And I need to understand, I can't look at them with a blank Uh, with a broad brushstroke. I need to look at them individually and and see how they are uniquely journeying and traveling on their road of maturity as a human being and address their specific emotional needs, their, their physical needs, their needs from me, their father, needs from my wife, their mother, and what their stages of growth look like. And I look at that and I praise God of how he is so attentive to my own stages of growth. And how at the moment that I feel that I have settled for the status quo and own little comfy couch of spirituality, God begins to drive me into something new and it's uncomfortable and strange and how do I make sense of this? Just like my kids are trying to make sense of their own growing emotions and development. And yet through that, and especially through that, through all of the mistakes, all of the mistakes, there's grace. Sometimes we think about grace as weakness. We're letting something go off off the hook. But the truth is, friends, we're going to mess up no matter what. I mean, we're going to stumble along the way in our journey of growth and maturity, both as a person and as, as a child of God. Grace is there so that we can continue to grow. It's striving and feeling as though our value is dependent on our ability to, to be righteous and perfect and to serve God more, that's what actually stifles our growth. It's grace that helps us to grow and blossom and flourish. So what's your stage of growth? 
My prayer is that you would pay close attention to what God might be saying to you in this moment. Maybe about his love for you and how you have been limiting the power of the grace of Jesus Christ. Or maybe doubting that you have a deeper purpose on this planet. Or maybe feeling as though your self-worth is caught up in your confusion about what you can contribute to others. My prayer for you is that you would hear God speak in this moment and maybe throughout this week as you read chapter four in your own personal readings. You'd be filled with the love of God and out of that security, find your purpose and realize that through grace, you can do amazing things. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that we can rest secure in your identity that you have established for us, brought to us by your love and your grace. Thank you for establishing that in Jesus Christ, that I don't have to strive for that. I don't have to earn that. And it's with that same grace, Lord, that you call me and call us, but not for ourselves, but for the building up of others. I pray that we would be your family, that we would be your church, that we would be your children, be your people, that are so secure in your love that we can go out and without any scarcity, without any fear, love others and build them up. And as we do that, we find all of us growing together into the body of Christ with each ligament doing its part. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the body of Christ. And teach us further as we go through the book of Ephesians, Lord, how to be your family and how to live it out in practical ways. This can only be done by your power and your grace. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God. Have a great week.